I'm Andrew Schwartz, and you're listening to The Truth of the Matter, a podcast by CSIS where we break down the top policy issues of the day and talk with the people that can help us best understand what's really going on. To get to the truth of the matter about what is going on in Turkey and electoral politics there, we have with us the man who is the best in the world to talk Turkey with, Dr. Bülent Aliriza, my colleague at CSIS, dear friend, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Andrew. So, Bülent, this upcoming presidential and parliamentary elections in Turkey are less than about two weeks away. You've been watching Erdogan for a very long time. I remember we hosted him here at CSIS in 2002. You brought him here. He was something of a ray of hope back then for the United States. Things have really evolved since then. Do you think that we're looking at the end of the line for Erdogan? As you said, we've been watching him for a very long time. His first visit to CSIS was in January 2002 when he was still in the opposition. And he talked about how he's going to change Turkey for the better in every sense of the word. He talked about ending corruption, poverty, and the series of bans that uh, the previous uh, governments had imposed on the Turkish people. And he duly won the elections in uh, November 2002, after which we hosted him again at CSIS. And he uh, certainly proceeded to improve the Turkish economy. He accelerated the the application, the process uh, whereby Turkey was applying to join the European Union, instigated a series of reforms. And for a, a very long time, both inside Turkey as well as outside, it was a ray of hope, uh, as you said. But somewhere uh, along the line, some people dated back to 2011, Erdogan began to focus on retaining power rather than on fulfilling the promises that, that he made. In the process, he shed a lot of the, uh, his colleagues who had come into power with him, Abdullah Gül, Bülent Arıç, and other founders of the, of the party. He increasingly adopted nationalist uh, rhetoric, formed an alliance with the ultra-nationalist MHP, to use the Turkish acronym, which continues to, to this day. And he became personally intolerant of any criticism and he also presided over the worsening of the Turkish economy. The Turkish economy became extremely leveraged, and his insistence on you know, tying inflation to the interest rates in a way that nobody else around the world does has pretty much ensured that you know, Turkey is no longer getting the funds from the outside that it did in the early years of Erdogan. And whatever happens in the elections on May 14th, if he wins or if the election, if the opposition wins, there's going to be an economic recovery package that's absolutely necessary. And honestly, it's difficult to, to say what exactly happened to him, but clearly Erdogan is not the man he was, and neither is his party that it was 20 years ago. So the question I have is, let's say he loses. Does that mean he actually leaves power? Well, that's the Real question out there, you know, Turkey is a democratic country with all its faults. Uh, elections still take place, and we know that they don't have a predetermined uh, result from the local elections in, in Istanbul in 2019. Mr. Erdogan himself was mayor of Istanbul in 1994 when he began his journey to the pinnacle. His candidate, the former prime minister, lost against Ekrem Imamoglu, the opposition candidate, and even though there was a rerun, which uh, many people suggested was 
you know, not appropriate according to the constitution and to Turkey's electoral system. The second result was even worse from Erdogan's point of view. Imam Oda won by 800,000 votes. So it's entirely possible that he could lose against uh, Kılıçdaroğlu. Now, Kılıçdaroğlu has lost many elections against Erdogan since he uh, took over the opposition in 2010. But yeah, the question is whether uh, Erdogan would be willing to, to give up power. And there has been speculation that he will use the immense powers of the state that uh, he's accumulated at the presidency, his total control over the media and control over the, uh, the law enforcing agencies, the military. military, the gendarmerie, the police, to somehow, you know, engineer the result that he, he wants. I'd like to believe that that won't happen. The Turkey has a, a, a democratic tradition stretching back to 1950 when the first uh, democratic elections took place. In 1950, the Republican People's Party, uh, whose candidate is now Kılıç Tarolu, had been in power for 27 years. And Ismet İnönü, the then president, um, lost the elections against the Democratic Party. And even though the, uh, there were people within the army, there were officers within the army, who said, let's just annul the elections and arrest the opposition and continue, he said no. And uh, gracefully ceded power. Now, four years before, the same man engineered um, an election victory that was tainted. So the question is whether we're actually going to have a repeat of the 1950 elections, which ushered in democracy in Turkey, or whether the power in, party in power will not be able to resist the temptation to hang on to power at all costs, as in 1946, four years before the 50 elections. So conceivably, and people are speculating that Erdogan won't let go of the reins of power. He keeps himself in office through these immense powers that he's accumulated over the years, which even include regulating people's use of the internet, use of Facebook, use of social media, other social media. What would it look like in a modern age in Turkey if he indeed does something like that? I know it's a, it's a lot to speculate on, but you've been in Turkey and lived in Turkey over the past couple of years. What, what, what would it really look like there if Erdogan were to you know, cling to power in that way? Well, the first impact I think would be seen economically because the Turkish economy is in real dire straits. The, the government has been selling dollars and more recently gold to try and uh, keep the Turkish liras fall against the, the dollar within a reasonable range. It is now hovering around 20. And if something like that happens, 20 to the, to the dollar, there'd be speculation against the Turkish lira. So we could see the, the dollar TL ratio at 25. Turkey's ability to borrow on the international stage, which is difficult now, it's almost paying a two-digit interest rate in order to get money from abroad, which is outrageous. It's almost junk bond rates. That will be even more difficult for Turkey to raise funds uh, beyond its borders. And, and there'll be widespread condemnation of any international condemnation or anything that might be untoward in, in the elections. Now, there could be cheating, minor cheating in the election, on election day. But what we're really talking about is, you know, perhaps something along the lines of what happened with Lukashenko in Belarus, where, you know, uh, he apparently lost the elections, but declared that he had won and was willing to face the international Reaction. Now, Turkey is wedded to, to the West in many ways. It's a member of NATO. It's an aspirant for EU membership. The majority of Turkish trade is with the Western countries. Most of the funds that are in, invested in, in Turkey come from the West. So going down that path, which I, I honestly hope will not be the case, uh, will you know, certainly estrange Turkey even further 
from from the West. And you know, one would hope that if Erdogan was to win the elections, that he would do so fairly. Then, and if he were to lose, that he would leave gracefully, like spent you know, in 1950. So, I guess a key question for us here in the United States is twofold. If he clings to power, you know, as you just said, economic problems, major economic problems. Do we start to see civil unrest in Turkey as well? And then a follow-up question to this is, is, what does this all mean for the United States and for NATO? To begin with the possibility of civil unrest, Kılıçdaroğlu has already said, you know, his supporters should not rush into the streets. I think he was referring to the example of 2013 when there were major demonstrations, the so-called Gizli Park demonstrations in Turkey, which were suppressed through the use of the of the police in Istanbul, Ankara, and, and elsewhere. There is the possibility of a reaction by Erdogan supporters if they lose, because they have so much to lose. They haven't been in power for two decades. You know, we have previous examples in uh, Mexico and in Japan where parties have stayed on in power for many years uh, with the patronage system. And once the party in power goes, many people have a lot to lose. So they would be the ones who would react to a loss. Now, Kalishtarl's people would react against cheating if that were to happen, or what they would perceive as, as, as cheating. So there is the very real possibility of violence, which one would hope would not take place, and hopefully would be isolated uh, in the aftermath of the election, immediate aftermath of the election. As for the international reaction and the, the dilemmas faced by the U.S. and other countries, well, clearly the U.S., and particularly the Biden administration, which has been stressing the importance of maintaining and expanding the democratic group of nations against the, the autocratic trend, you know, led by Russia and, and China with their examples of intolerance and Orban with his illiberal democracy, as, as he calls it, and in Hungary. Now, the U.S. faces two dilemmas, Andrew. One is the democratic dilemma, you know, having come to power democratically, you know, what happens if the leader of an allied country does not leave democratically? And parallel to that is a diplomatic dilemma. You know, if you say nothing, then the the leader assumes of that country assumes that you prove implicitly what he's doing. If you don't, he then says uh, they're trying to overthrow me. And the U.S. has not found a way to deal with this with respect to Turkey or other countries, you know, that have moved down the autocratic path. On May 14th, the U.S. will will face these dilemmas when it comes to to the reaction. Now, obviously. The U.S. is not taking sides, but you know it's an open secret that the U.S. would prefer Kalishtarola to win the elections for many reasons that uh, we could go into. Uh, but if it doesn't, what is the U.S. going to do? It cannot treat, as I said, Turkey and Erdogan like Belarus and Lukashenko because it's tied to Turkey. In, in it's tied to the West in, in so many ways. It's integral in our foreign policy. Exactly, and that may be something that uh, that Erdogan would be counting on as he calculates. You know, the, the odds of doing something or not doing something on election night if results go badly. Can you put into perspective why Turkey is such a major important player in international security and foreign policy? I think, you know, we lose sight of that in the United States sometimes when we hear that, you know, potential NATO members like Sweden are jumping through hoops to appease Turkey just to get into NATO. And we think, well, why are we allowing this to happen? Why is Turkey such a big part of our equation in terms of national security and, and foreign policy? You know, we actually put out a report about 10 years ago 
on you know Turkey's uh, importance to to the U.S. and to the West, and it really goes back to the the post Second World War period, when the Truman Doctrine identified Turkey along with Greece as important in what was emerging as the Cold War confrontation with uh, the Soviet Union. Turkey was admitted into NATO in 1952 with U.S. pressure on reluctant allies. The Turkish armed forces were modernized by the U.S., particularly the Turkish Air Force. And for the 40 years of the Cold War, Turkey was a very important ally, geographically, geostrategically speaking, against the Soviet Union. Now, the problem is in, in the U.S.-Turkish relationship really began after the end of the Cold War, because Turkey began to develop through, under a number of governments a relationship with what was then, you know, the successor state to the Soviet Union, Russia, and that's developed even more under Erdogan. It became more willing to, you know, to dissent from uh, NATO decisions in a number of ways. Now, Turkey values NATO membership, as Erdogan stresses, but it's it's similar, Andrew, to the Gulf's relationship with NATO. The Gulf liked the fact that France was in NATO, but also wanted to develop an independent foreign policy. Papandreou of Greece did this in the early 80s. So Erdogan is going down that path. Interestingly, Kılıçdaroğlu, in a speech the other day, said we belong to neither the West nor the East, which is factually incorrect. But uh, when you look at that statement, as he's made it, he seems almost intent on continuing the, the policy of, of Erdogan of maintaining some degree of independence, even as you know one would expect him to uh, strengthen the relationship with the West. So the streak of independence actually predates Erdogan and will survive Erdogan if he was, uh, was to go. But look, geography, as somebody said, Geography is maps and history is chaps. You know, geography and geostrategic considerations will may always make Turkey important. Important to the West, but also important to the Russians, because the Russians like the fact that they are able to you know, maintain a relationship uh, with Turkey at a time when everybody else is imposing sanctions, Turkey is not, and, you know, to breathe, in effect, to breathe th through Turkey. So, you know, Turkey, an independent foreign policy on the part of Turkey is, is extremely valuable to Putin uh, and to Russia when he has very few friends. So the U.S. would be hoping for a change in, in foreign policy, but whether it would be as drastic as, as some people in Washington hope, I'm not so sure. It's always been a pretty tough needle to thread and difficult to explain how Turkey has a relationship with Putin, but also as part of NATO, also has a very strong relationship with the United States or needs to have a strong relationship with the United States. And then you even throw in, you know, other countries like Israel into the mix as well. How do you explain how they thread that needle? Not always elegantly. And, you know, from the U.S. point of view, the reliance on Turkey will only take you so far. You know, the, the issue of the sanctions against Russia is, is, is the most recent and most important example of this. Of course, the United States would very much like uh, Turkey to impose sanctions on, on Russia. The U.S. Treasury has taken a very tough line on, on this, but the U.S. government, and in particular the Department of State, has taken the view that you know pushing Turkey on the issue of sanctions and pushing it to to, uh, to uh, try and reduce its relationship with uh, with Russia would endanger Turkey's position in NATO. And there has even been speculation that you know Turkey would draw even closer to to Russia. If the, the U.S. was to to push, you know, Turkey down in the, in that direction, so it's difficult on the Turkish side to to balance your membership of the Western alliance with your energy dependence on Russia, which is immense. 
uh, with your ongoing relationship with Russia, which is economically important. But it's also difficult for, for the U.S. at this end, you know, to deal with a, a country that tries to balance the East and the West, even though it is formally a, a NATO country. And because of the need for unanimity within NATO when it comes to uh, the admission of other members, Turkey took its sweet time when it uh, came to Finland and is still opposing Sweden on the grounds that it's backing, you know, the Kurdish insurgency against Turkey. And the U.S. has been powerless to actually overcome that opposition through pressure on Turkey because there will always be voices in Washington who will say that pressure on Turkey will be counterproductive. So what can the United States do and what do you think the United States will do if Erdogan is reelected? Well, if, if he's reelected, you know, in free and fair elections, it will be business as usual. Or at least it will be similar, the relationship will be similar to what it's been the first two years of the Biden administration, which is that Biden's kept uh, Erdogan at arm's length. It's been a transactional relationship. Uh, there's been very little warmth in the relationship. And issues like the F-35 program, uh, the plane program that Turkey was pushed out of, will not be revived. The F-16 issue will continue to face problems in Congress. But nonetheless, Turkey will remain a NATO country, and there will be a, a relationship. If he loses, there will be great hopes in, in Washington that of a fresh start. Of course, it will mean most in, in Turkey itself, because you know some of the stringent measures that the Erdogan government has taken parallel to its uh, accumulation of power uh, will be dispensed with, and Turkey will be a freer country, that human rights will be more respected. Democracy, of course, will have shown its worth by arranging for a peaceful transition of power after free elections. But it will, call, it will matter uh, to, to the U.S. Who, who wins, but whoever wins, the U.S. is you know, almost obliged to, to maintain a relationship. So final question, how will we really know and how will the Turkish people most importantly really know that the election was fair? Well, it's in the eye of the beholder. The result needs to be accepted by the majority of the people as, as fair. Otherwise, it will be tainted. The Higher Electoral Council, there are huge question marks over the Higher Electoral Council because it's under the influence or perceived to be the un, under the influence of, of Erdogan. And that's the final arbiter of the, the results. That's where the council, uh, the, the electoral council will be formalized and they will make the announcements. And if uh, there is any shenanigans, it will be done at that stage on the night of the election. Whichever way it goes, Turkey is divided right down the middle. Half of the population or thereabouts will be unhappy with the result. Uh, so the, the instability you know, that we've seen during the, the election period will continue and it might even be exacerbated. Uh, certainly the, the most important thing to watch out for will be the economic results. But that night of the, uh, of the election, I think uh, all the people of Turkey and those interested in Turkey like us will be watching to see and hoping uh, that there will be a, a free and fair election and a result that the majority of Turks accept. Ultimately, it'll be up to the Turks to decide, but whichever way the Turks go will matter a great deal for the outside world, including to those of us in Washington. Bulan, you've given us an awful lot to think about and an awful lot to watch over the next several weeks. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for having me. If you enjoyed this podcast, check out our larger suite of CSIS podcasts. From Into Africa, The Asia Chessboard, China Power, AIDS 2020, The Trade Guys, Smart Women, Smart Power, and more. You can listen to them all on major streaming platforms like iTunes and Spotify. Visit csis.org slash podcasts to see our full catalog 